Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Lancet Neurology In Conversation With. I'm Sarah Passy, a Senior Editor at The Lancet Neurology. For our December podcast, I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Rustam Al-Shahi Salaman, who is Professor of Clinical Neurology at the University of Edinburgh and Honorary Consultant Neurologist in NHS Lothian, and whose meta-analysis entitled Effects of Oral Anticoagulation in People with Atrial Fibrillation After Spontaneous Intracranial Hemorrhage, or Cockroach, was published online in October and is in our December issue. Rustam, it's lovely to see you again and to speak with you today about your work. So first of all, can you please introduce yourself for our listeners and tell them a little bit about your work? Well, thank you very much, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be with you and hello to everybody out there in cyberspace. Um, Thanks for tuning in. Um, So Cockroach is not only a bad acronym, Sarah, it's uh, also a an example of team science in modern research. So I'm really grateful to all the collaborators from either the completed or the ongoing randomized control trials who are all individually struggling to recruit enough patients to address uh, the dilemma about whether to start or avoid oral anticoagulation uh, for atrial fibrillation after intracranial hemorrhage. Um, But collectively, even though each trial is a struggle in itself, collectively we'll have over 2,000 patients worth of data when cockroach is all said and done in years to come, which will give us a really good shot at answering this question overall. Brilliant. So your paper was published online first, just in time for the uh, World Stroke Congress, at which you presented the data from the cockroach meta-analysis. Could you tell us about some of your personal highlights from the conference? Yes, absolutely. So, as you say, uh, the the paper itself was published just in time. It was published in parallel with the conference, and that requires a huge amount of organisation from authors and editors, as well as very swift peer review. So, uh, thanks to you and the peer reviewers for making uh, me burning the midnight oil come good in time for the conference. And I think it's that sort of thing, breaking results published at the same time, that really make these international conferences exciting, because it gives you the opportunity not only to hear practice changing research, but also to have all the evidence there in a publication alongside it. And there were a few other examples of people doing this at the conference, as well as some examples of really exciting trials where we wished we could see all the data in full to fully interpret them, but we don't yet have the full publications. So I suppose a a big headline from the conference is the um, commission. Uh, itself. So the the, the Lancet Neurology World Stroke Organization uh, Commission. So it might be worth talking about that if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think it's really addressing the issue about the future burden of stroke. And we all know that um, survival after stroke is improving. And although outcomes for individual patients are getting better, the aging population, the expansion of the world's population means that the burden overall is going to rise. So although we've got a lot to celebrate about treatment of stroke, and that's mainly ischemic stroke, not yet intracerebral hemorrhage, there's actually a a huge burden that we need to, to address. So the projection from the from the commission that stroke mortality is going to increase by 50% in absolute terms that's huge more than 6.5 million people per year in 2020 to almost 10 million a year 
uh, by 2050. It's absolutely huge with corresponding increases in the disability-adjusted life years as well. But the, the thing I like about these commissions and why it's important to hear about it at the conference is it's not just quantifying the problem epidemiologically and in public health terms, it's making recommendations that are practical solutions. And it'll come as no surprise that the four pillars you know, I, I agreed with, all about uh, adequate surveillance, good prevention of stroke, which after all, as we all know, is the main thing we should focus on, far better to prevent a severe disease than to try to improve it when it's happened. So surveillance, prevention, further improvements in acute care, and obviously importantly in rehabilitation to improve life after stroke. So I think your readers will find lots of valuable uh, nuggets in there that they will, they're very likely to agree with, and they can use with policymakers, health services, and their other stakeholders in their own countries to campaign to reduce the future burden of stroke on everyone. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's really important commission. Really pleased with it. So let's move on to your article now. Could you tell our listeners about the Cockroach Project and how did it begin and why? So Cockroach, as I mentioned earlier, is is not is about oral anticoagulant drugs, but it's also about other classes of antithrombotic drug, antiplatelet drugs. Um, and clearly, we worry more about the risks of bleeding with oral anticoagulation than we do with antiplatelet drugs. But it is a concern for both. And I guess all of this started uh, back in, for me anyway, in the early 2010s, when like many other stroke physicians, I was wrestling with the everyday clinical dilemma of a patient in front of me who has a history of bleeding and of clotting and wanting to work out what to do about either of these classes of antithrombotic drug. And it's something we see in other contexts as well with thrombolysis as well, where we worry about bleeding. So there are many different types of drug where this dilemma arises. I think that the fundamental, the, the eureka moment for me was moving from a, a natural human position of worry about bleeding, what I call hemophobia, where none of us likes the sound, the sight, the thought of blood. And we're especially hemophobic about blood when bleeding has already occurred, and quite understandably. So it's the severity of bleeding and the way we feel about it that then makes everybody very nervous about using drugs that might increase the risk of bleeding to prevent clotting events. And so that's why I sought to do a randomized control trial, first of all, in a high-risk population, at high risk of clotting, of the lower-risk type of drug, antiplatelet drugs. And that was the, the restart trial, which um, we, we started in 2013 and was published in The Lancet in 2019. That was antiplatelet drugs after intracerebral hemorrhage in a high-risk population of people who'd already been on an antithrombotic drug because they'd had some kind of clotting disease like a myocardial infarction or ischemic stroke. So that, if you like, is, is where the disease started, where the, the issue started, focused on a bleeding disease and the lower-risk type of of drug, whilst also trying to keep a real-world perspective, much like the Lancet's Commission on Stroke does, about what the fundamental underlying drivers of these diseases are, clotting and bleeding. We have to keep in perspective that um, aging, high blood pressure, 
alcohol misuse, cigarette smoking, poor diet, lack of exercise, salting one's food, all these things into stroke has shown that those are the major risk factors for both bleeding and clotting diseases. So that's why I was concerned not just about the risk of bleeding again for these conditions, but also that we might be perhaps by omitting antithrombotic drugs, missing an opportunity to prevent clotting problems that these patients are surely at high risk of. So whilst doing these trials, we've also been putting the the observational epidemiological evidence in place to really get a good assessment of what the bleeding and clotting risks are for survivors of of brain hemorrhage. So the whole story has kind of evolved in the intervening 15 years or so, but it started with restart and epidemiological research and then cockroach arose later. Great. Thank you. So could you outline for our listeners the sort of the, the key messages of the cockroach um, meta-analysis that we've just published? Sure. Well, um, uh, cockroach, just in case anybody's wondering what the acronym stands for, um, stands for the collaboration of controlled randomized trials of long-term oral antithrombotic agents after spontaneous intracranial hemorrhage. And if anybody can actually spot the letters that create cockroach uh, there, they've done really well as listeners, but you do need to see it written down. And the reason we, we chose this acronym was because it's been so difficult to do these trials. And our strap line, if you like, is you can't crush a cockroach. We are determined to resolve these therapeutic dilemmas, even though the individual trials are difficult to do. And that's where an individual patient data meta-analysis really makes a difference. So the idea was hatched when I got a group of trialists together in this area at, in 2017 at the European Stroke Organization conference. And um, we agreed to collaborate. We thought ahead to how this would be done. Um, I wrote a protocol that was finalized in March 2021, but it was prospectively registered in Prospero, the uh, register for systematic reviews. And what we've done in this first iteration of Cockroach is bring together the four available completed randomized control trials of oral anticoagulation for atrial fibrillation after intracranial hemorrhage. There are several others ongoing, another five or so, that are either still following up participants or still recruiting. But those tri- the results of those trials won't be known for another four or five years. So in order to inform doctors and patients around the world about whether they should be taking part in the ongoing trials, we thought we should summarize all the available data from the four completed trials to date now, and then pause complete recruitment to the uh, ongoing trials, and then do a further iteration of this um, in years to come. So hopefully I'll be back in less than a decade anyway to talk about that, Sarah. And and the headline finding from um, this individual patient data meta-analysis is that although the effects of oral anticoagulation are uncertain on our primary outcome of any stroke or cardiovascular death, and they're uncertain overall as well as in individual subgroups, Oral anticoagulation does definitely reduce the risk of ischemic major adverse cardiovascular events for intracranial hemorrhage survivors with atrial fibrillation. And that's uh, a significant finding, both clinically and statistically, in the meta-analysis that wasn't shown individually by any of the trials until this meta-analysis was done. 
So what we can say to patients and their carers is, we know oral anticoagulation has a really powerful effect for reducing the risk of stroke and other major adverse cardiovascular events in atrial fibrillation, whether somebody's never had an ischemic stroke before or if they've had an ischemic stroke. And now we can say, we also know that it has the same benefit for patients with atrial fibrillation after intracranial hemorrhage too. But what we're still not sure about is the overall balance of bleeding and clotting, although it's important to note that amongst our secondary outcomes were hemorrhagic major adverse cardiovascular events, and there wasn't a statistically significant increase in them. Um, and also that the overall effects on functional outcome remain uncertain. And doctors will be concerned about that going back to where I started with this on haemophobia. People are worried about bleeding because bleeding in the brain is the most severe type of stroke. So even though there might be numerically fewer bleeds in, in during follow-up than there are ischemic strokes, any increase in a small number of bleeds versus a large reduction in a larger number of ischemic strokes has an unknown effect on functional outcome overall because it may only take a few severe bleeding events to outweigh the reduction in ischemic events. But we really don't know what the answer to that is. And I think that's the most intriguing issue about this question. And I hope we'll be able to address that in the final iteration of this meta-analysis. Yeah. So it's, it's important for these trials to finish recruitment and get the data out so we can uh, get that final answer. Yes, I think it's um, a real modern dilemma for us in, in health services, isn't it? They're really under strain at the moment. We've got workforce crises, underfunded healthcare systems and so on, but a renewed appreciation after COVID of how important it is to embed research in our everyday practice and make it efficient so that we can quickly make progress with um, treatment of any disease, whether it's COVID or intracranial hemorrhage. So yes, I'm afraid this is another systematic review and meta-analysis that concludes that more trials are needed. But at least the good news about this one is that those trials are ongoing and they will be completed. The only uncertainty is how well they will recruit. And I think Cockroach really should indicate to all clinicians that there is every reason to keep randomizing and randomize as many people as possible so that we're not only confident in the overall effects of these drugs when the final meta-analysis is done, but we can also do precision medicine and work out what the effects are in subgroups of people. And that requires enormous numbers of people to be recruited to these trials. So yes, the message is keep on recruiting, um, but with good reason and evidence for why. Um, and the final caveat to all of that, of course, is the correspondence in The Lancet from the Enrich AF trial about one of those subgroups that you might also want to discuss. Yeah, we can do if you like. Um, yeah, so the Enrich AF, they, they wrote in The Lancet, didn't they, about uh, there was, was there one subgroup that stopped recruiting yeah, absolutely. So Ashkan Schwamanesh, who's the um, chief investigator of the Enrich AF trial, which is an international main phase trial addressing exactly the same dilemma as our um, individual patient data meta-analysis, that's run from PHRI at McMaster in Canada, and more than 20 countries internationally are taking part, and they're looking at a doxaban or avoidance of oral anticoagulation, which could include antiplatelet therapy or, or nothing, for intracranial hemorrhage survivors. 
and they've recruited well over 700 patients now so they're the biggest ongoing trial in this area and clearly safety needs to be very carefully monitored in randomized control trials by data monitoring committees and this is one of these rare examples where a data monitoring committee has watched the emerging data and they haven't stopped the trial overall they've looked at benefits and harms in subgroups and they've decided that two subgroups of patients should no longer continue oral anticoagulation and should not continue to be enrolled in the trial. And those two subgroups were people with low bar intracerebral hemorrhage, which has a higher risk of recurrent hemorrhage than non-low bar locations. And secondly, those with convexity subarachnoid hemorrhage, that spontaneous bleeding in the subarachnoid space, not due to an aneurysm, probably due to cerebral amyloid angiopathy. Um, uh, which also has a high risk of future intracranial hemorrhage. We don't know what the data show. It's just that the Data Monitoring Committee has given this advice, um, but they're obviously highly respected and trusted groups of individuals and will have made this decision with good reason within the Enrich AF trial itself. But it does create a dilemma for us because you know, should we not even randomize these patients in the ongoing trials in order to get be really confident about what the effects are, given that we don't, we're not actually able to see the data. And it, as far as I know, the data monitoring committees of the ongoing trials have uh, not forbidden inclusion of this group of patients, and these people are still being randomised in the other ongoing trials. Um, and I think, you know, I have to respect those data monitoring committee's decisions, and they may have more information about what was found in Enrich AF than, than others uh, do in the public domain, but they would have considered this carefully. And I think it is that is a one potential option for these patients in future to continue to be randomized in the other ongoing trials pending the Enrich AF result, because the, the decision was made on only a couple of hundred patients. We had just over 100 patients in the cockroach individual patient data meta-analysis in this group, and we didn't see overall any evidence of harm in the two trials that could provide data on this, SOSTART and Apache AF. So that's the other advantage of having this IPDMA coincidentally being brought together and being published at the same time as the letter in the Lancet expressing the data monitoring committee's decision about the subgroup in Enrich AF because it allows us to see all the available data from published trials about this alongside a data monitoring committee decision in one trial. So this is the best we can get short of data monitoring committees of all similar trials sharing their emerging data and doing individual patient data meta-analyses as the trials go on. Imagine how complex <laughs> that would be to do, <laughs> but yeah. you know, arguably, ethically for patients worldwide, if we could have a way across all data monitoring committees of, of monitoring all the emerging data as it's accrued, whilst you might compromise the ultimate size of individual trials you would have in real time almost the combined evidence about safety of an intervention from all ongoing trials at one time. And I think that's logistically very challenging to do and does compromise the integrity to a degree of individual trials. But for me, 
that would be, if you like, the idealistic version of this individual patient data meta-analysis. So um, let's move on to the future. Um, so obviously we know there's going to be another iteration of cockroach um, in a, about five, six years' time, we hope. But what about the field? Um, where do you see the most important movement in the next um, few years? And also for yourself, what are you up to? Well, the first question is easier to answer, probably, Sarah. I th I'm, I'm f a firm believer that um, in medical research, we need to be safeguarding its future by bringing on early and mid-career researchers. I feel very passionately about that. Um, and I think a key thing about this area is that daring to go into it and ask the question, can we test antithrombotic drugs after intracerebral hemorrhage? It was a really difficult thing for me to do. I lost a lot of hair in the process, and I'm, you know, really grateful to more than a hundred sites in the UK for completing Restart because it showed us surprising evidence of safety of antiplatelet drugs after ICH. And what that seems to have done is catalyzed a growth of interest in the area from early to mid-career researchers who are starting to put in place the epidemiological evidence and take on trials after ICH. So those people who set their own trials in motion are definitely part of the future story here. The second is thinking hard about this balance between bleeding and clotting events and the beneficial and adverse effects of treatment is something doctors have always struggled with, but there are many other contexts in which these dilemmas arise, whether it's, for example, after subdural hemorrhage not just after the types of bleed that um, you know we see in stroke services, the neurosurgeons will be concerned about this too. Uh, whether it's people with micro bleeds um, on MRI at times when we're considering thrombolysis and various other antithrombotic strategies in the future, and so on and so on. Of course, it doesn't always start with bleeding. There's also the issue of what happens if bleeding occurs after an ischemic event whilst on antithrombotic drugs. So. I think I see us maybe daring to confront more of these dilemmas in other areas and a growth of interest in the, in this area uh, amongst the, the stroke research workforce that we need to safeguard for the future. And as to what I'm up to, well, I'm doing that sort of thing, really. I really want to bring on the next generation of stroke researchers. But um, the thing that's really going to keep me occupied until my retirement and lead to me losing the rest of my hair is um, the definitive main phase trial to follow restart, which I finally got funding for of antiplatelet therapy after any intracerebral, any spontaneous intracerebral hemorrhage, um, not just in the high risk group that was recruited to restart. So we're intending to recruit more than 4,000 patients to that starting in 2024 and maybe having the results available for the European Stroke Organization Conference in 2030, all being well. So I've made a note in my diary for a parallel submission of, uh, of aspiring for about January or February 2030, if that's okay, Sarah. I'll pop it in my diary. Thanks so much <laughs> for the uh, advance notice of that. Um, so thank you so much, Rostam, for such an interesting discussion today. There's so much else we could have talked about, but we just don't have the time. So you can read Professor Salman's article online now at thelancet.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lancet Neurology in conversation with. And remember that you can subscribe wherever you usually get your podcasts. 